Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome to Why Food Podcast, a podcast about innovators, career changers, and entrepreneurs. I'm your co-host, Valerie Lomas. I'm Ethan Frisch. And we are here today with the lovely Benjamina Abwehi. She is a cookbook author. Her book just came out last week, The New Way to Cake. She's a food stylist, and you have probably seen her on Netflix's The Great British Bake Off. Great and, British baking show, I think we. we oh, that's true. Here, we right? can't say bake off because oh, it's, there's something... it's coined. Pillsbury owns that term here in the United <laughs> States, but not, not, not abroad. Sorry, Pillsbury. <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So, tell us your origin story. How did you get into baking? How did you wind up on the show? How did that all yeah, happen? I mean, I have always loved food. Like, I mean, I've just always been that kid that was just in the kitchen watching my mum cook. My mum cooks, like, all the time when we were growing up. Um, and so I would be the one just to kind of, like, try it. Oh, let me help. Let me stir the pot. Um, but I had such a sweet tooth. And my mum was not someone to make desserts, make pie, make none of that at all. And it's not um, really part of, like, Nigerian culture to have desserts. It's not really a thing. Um yeah, so she bought me some like little kids cookbooks and then I just kind of slowly started working my way through the baking section of those. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Just being able to like play with dough and batter and like have cupcakes. And then, yeah, I kind of just stuck with it and really enjoyed it. And it just kind of grew. What did she think of her, her daughter being so into baking? I mean, is this... I don't know. Was she supportive? Was she excited? Did, did she, she think it was weird? Yeah, she was fine. She was like, you know, if you want to make, you know, cupcakes for dessert, go for it. Um, yeah. So she got me the books, which was which was a nice little like, yeah, this is what you enjoy doing. Here, have some resources. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone was happy because it means they got to eat lots of um, cakes and yeah. cookies and the good attempts and the bad attempts. But um, yeah. Right. So you grew up in London, mm-hmm. right? In a Nigerian household with a mother who loved to cook and you you love food, but you were also exposed to like some really specific Caribbean and African ingredients and spices. Mm. So has that how has that kind of like informed your own um, your own palate and how you bake with those types of things? I think growing up with such like big, bold flavors and everything's really gutsy and punchy. Um, 
I thought like this can or this can translate to sweet goods as well and it shouldn't just be within savory um, and so just being able to incorporate ingredients like chilies or plantains which aren't necessarily kind of part of the average home baker's ingredient list was was really fun and so I thought yeah my cakes and my desserts can be just as bold as um, the main course. At what point in your kind of culinary uh, career, maybe as strong when, when you were really young, working on playing around with uh, mm. baking, at what point did you start to integrate some of those flavors into your recipes or did that come come later? Right, because they probably weren't in those books your mom got you, right? <laughs> no, they were really simple. <laughs> Chocolate chip cookies, vanilla sponge, um, flapjacks. But um, yeah, definitely when I was a lot older, maybe at university, and I was kind of exploring more blogs and seeing what other people were doing, other people of colour were doing within food and incorporating their own background into their food. Um, and then that's when I kind of set up my own blog just to, more of a way just to keep track of what I was doing and just to be able to take some photos and have a record of the stuff that I was making. Um, yeah, and the more I kind of blog, the more people that I started to follow and realise actually there's so much that I could be doing with spices and with other ingredients and that's when I think slowly started to incorporate that into into my baking. Yeah so you kind of start to break the rules right? Yeah and just not be so like vanilla with it just right. let's throw in stuff and see if it works kind of thing. And I just want to give a plug to your blog right now because your current blog, Carrot and Crumb, mm. it was actually nominated for a Savor Award which is probably the most prestigious award in blogging and the desserts and baking category. And the awards are actually tonight. Yes. <laughs> um, but we're pre-recording this um, podcast. So you're going to have to go follow Benjamina on Instagram to see if she won. So by the yes. time you listen to this, she will already have won. Yes. Fate, fate has we'll been uh, decided. Yeah. Just uh, give us your Instagram handle real quick. Um, so it's at baked by Benji and that's Benji with an I. Okay, yeah. So check out her blog. It is actually so gorgeous. The Thank photography, you. it just kind of like it speaks. Um, it really speaks, I think, to your style as mm. a baker. It's very sophisticated. It's very elegant. It's very clean. But then there are these gorgeous pops of color mm, where you. you're kind of celebrating these special ingredients that I think also makes your baking really unique. Thank you. Thanks um, so much. Should we talk about the show? I guess. I think we need I to guess. talk about the show. You <laughs> <laughs> have to. So how did you decide to apply? What's the application process like? I don't know. I mean, maybe Valerie has a similar, has some experience with this. I know nothing. So Background. tell me about, yeah, yeah, how does it work? I mean, it's, it's actually, it's a very long process. I will start by saying that it's not a quick apply and then you're on. Um, I... I decided to apply, well, I thought about applying um, the season before mine, or two seasons before mine. It was, I think, Nadia's season who won. And um, I downloaded the application form. I thought, yeah, I could I could do this. Like, I love watching the show. I could give it a go. Um, downloaded the form and saw it was, like, 10, 11 pages long. And I thought, nah, no way. I can't. This is, I can't do half the things they're saying. So I kind of left it and just forgot about it. And then a couple years later, I thought... Actually, I watch this show quite a lot. I could do 
a lot of those things on the show. Like, that would be fine. What kinds of questions were they asking in the application? <laughs> yeah, so, um, oh, what were they asking? Really specific things like, tell us the last time you baked um, phyllo pastry and how did it go? And I was like, I've never in my life made phyllo I was pastry. about to say, have you made phyllo pastry? Because if you, if <sighs> I don't, like, I don't know who is out here <laughs> making no homemade phyllo pastry. Oh, it no is body. actually not something you should, do not make this at home. There is no need. There's actually no need to make phyllo pastry. You can buy it. Buy Very it at the store if you <laughs> insist on making baklava or something rare oh, that uses yeah. it. Yeah, and, and yeah, so there was a lot of questions about each category of baking, so breads and cakes and pastries. And for me, pastry wasn't kind of my strong point or something I did a lot of. So initially, the first time I saw the film, I thought, I can't do any pastry, I can't apply. But yeah, a couple of year, years later, I thought, well, you know, I'm not... I have strengths in other areas, in the cakes and the breads, but the pastries not so much, but I'm still just going to give it a go. And the worst they're going to say is no, and that's fine. So I didn't tell anyone. It was like a few hours before the deadline, and I thought, should I, shan't I, should I? And I thought, you know what, just do it. What is the worst that would happen? Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, step by step, it just kind of, I kept going what further. What was the next step? And then you have like a little telephone interview, and they ask you loads of questions, and just I think just try to get a bit more personality from you and see what you're like on the phone and then you have some auditions as well so you come in and you bring some bakes and they um, yeah taste them and you talk about them and just lots more interviews I think just trying to get personality and see what you're like and because you could be a fantastic fantastic baker best baker in the world but if you're you know it's tv so you've got to be interesting to watch and so that's also plays a big role in it as well and yeah, a few of those rounds later, and then it was like, yeah, you're on the show. Oh, that's so, awesome. So was that personality aspect, and maybe Valerie, you have some thoughts on this too, is that something that you sort of, did you saw, obviously, you know what they're looking for. So is that something that you kind of cultivated? Did you put on a little bit of a show for them? or mm, like how, so did, much. how did you manage that through the audition process? I think it was, I was just trying to be so conscious of just be yourself. Because if I was trying to kind of be this person who was either, I don't know, super outgoing or super, not that I'm not outgoing, but someone that I wasn't, like after week two, um, I wouldn't be able to keep it up. So I thought, just just literally be yourself. Just relax. And if they want you because of who you are, then that's great. If not, okay, you'll be fine. You know. I think you made a great point about... Um, about the initial um, application process and maybe being a little intimidated because, you know, you guys on the British show, especially you, you bake a really wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. You're making bread sculptures, you're making cakes, you're making pastries. And I mean, I noticed with my season, everyone kind of had something that they were good at. Mm. No one was actually good at everything. everything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Did you notice that also? Definitely. And I think that's what they want. I think it's almost impossible for someone to be absolutely fantastic at every aspect of baking. Right. And it's also more entertaining when, yeah, I could be amazing at cake one week, but bread is just my nemesis and it's just going to be a nightmare. That's also really entertaining. And yeah, I think everyone has their lane and what they excel in. But yeah, I think, yeah, especially for home bakers, right? Mm. Because even if you've gone to culinary school for baking, normally you're specializing in either bread or pastry and mm. they are like two pretty completely. So yeah. They're two different parts of your brain and mechanically and physically to actually make them. So um, what, I mean, obviously we know now that you love cake. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So you, I, 
I guess it was pretty cool that cakes were the first week when you were on the show. Oh, yeah. I was so relieved because I thought, if anything, I should not be the one going home week one. And if I am, that is very, very embarrassing. But yeah, having cakes as week one was, was quite a nice like comfort easing my way. Like, oh, I can do this. This is what I enjoy. I know that I'm good at this section at least. So this will be a nice little kind of intro into the competition. And even though you're really confident with cakes, right? With, during that week, was there anything that kind of that kind of shook you or rattled you because you now have the pressure of being in this like iconic white tent, mm. right? With these <laughs> iconic judges that you had been watching for the six seasons before your season, mm. but you're actually um, on for us your Netflix season four. That's where people yeah. can watch your season. Um, how was it with like the lights and the producers who are? Uh, calling over camera people if you're messing up. <laughs> it was intense. It was very, very intense. And that week is also the first time that you're meeting the other bakers. You've, up until that point, you've just been, I know that I'm on, I have no idea who else is going to be in that tent when I walk in. It's the first time you're meeting Paul and Mary and Mel and Sue. The first time you're seeing the tent in real life. So it's just a lot of things to take in at once. And so, yeah, that first challenge, it was... It was it was weird. It was very, very weird. It was like try, telling myself, okay, relax. You know what you're doing. You've got the recipe. But then also there's cameras here. There's cameras there. And you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Don't say the wrong thing. Don't mess up. Don't look straight into the camera. Just, you know, be yourself, bake. Um, so it was a lot. And that week I did, I did cry that week. I remember it was... So looking back now and watching it back, it's so embarrassing. It's like, why did you cry? Like, you didn't need to cry. But I think it was just all the emotions at once and just not wanting to be the first one to go as well. And then just everything else, like do it well, do this, talk at the same time, talk to the camera, <laughs> da -da -da -da, repeat the question. It was just so much going on. And I think it was the showstopper challenge that I ended up crying because my um, I was doing a Swiss meringue buttercream and it just would not come together like it would not and I panicked I was like oh my gosh I'm going home I'm going home that's it that's it it's done first one out and I just yeah I was like gosh I'm just really bad <laughs> and oh watching it back is so cringe but we made it through it came together eventually and, uh, and then I think after that week I really kind of just settled and thought yeah you can do this yeah you can do this did it did it get easier uh subsequent episodes subsequent because because you don't film them all at once right you come back you week come after back week every week yeah it got in a on one hand it got a bit easier in terms of you knew what to expect you knew the kind of routine how everything worked you got to know the cameraman and you became, became quite friendly with them so that was quite calming as well um but on the other hand people were going week after week and the challenges were getting trickier and you're practicing every night at home and you're getting more stressed so it was a bit of it was a weird one. You were getting comfortable with the process and being in the tent, but at the same time, just knowing this group is getting smaller and smaller each week. Is it going to be me? I don't know. Or yeah. It was right. So kind of like the more comfortable you got, also there was a greater amount of pressure mm. because the challenges are getting harder and the com competition is getting stiffer just because mm -hmm. there are fewer people. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel, Valerie? As your, <laughs> your season progressed. Uh, I think I was, I think I was a basket case start to finish. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was, it was stressful. Mm -hmm. um, and 
we we didn't go home during the week. We filmed. We would have two film days, and then we would have a practice day, what? and then we would have two film days. I did and not know that. Then we would have a practice day. So that practice day, we would like start the morning, go do supermarket sweep at like Aldi. Is mm. that the? It's like the Walmart version at uh, in England, basically. Yeah. Um, and we would go and like get all of our ingredients, and then run home and. Just like do everything that we is put crazy. to practice. Yeah, that's right. Because you're not even in your own. At least I had the comfort of my own kitchen and my own stuff, but you weren't in your own right. Space. Yeah, no, we were in England. We're like the ingredients are different, right? Yeah. So we have heavy cream, and you guys have double, double cream, cream and triple cream, and it's there. <laughs> triple cream. <laughs> we have triple. You do cream. have triple cream, right? Triple cream. No, qu- no, we've got double cre- single cream and double. cream. Okay, single cream and add double cream. Single cream to double cream. <laughs> that is, cream. Ethan just came up with Baker's math. I like that. <laughs> I don't think it works quite no, like I don't that. Think so either, but... Single and double. Yeah, <laughs> but our culinary producers, they were like, "Oh, you just add a little milk and." And that'll give you the consistency of heavy cream. And it's like, we're not professionals. Yeah. We're like home bakers who have our grandmother's recipe that like, <laughs> we know how it works. That must but... have been tricky. Yeah, even the flowers, the butter, there's a lot yeah. of differences. I, uh, is it is it the merit, marriage, marriage? There's like marriage a flower is, brand. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was like, I literally came to love and appreciate a lot of British ingredients. And I can say, I think overall British people take baking way more seriously yeah because at the grocery stores you can find like everything whereas here <laughs> you'll be going to like specialty stores oh, really? searching for stuff that like you guys just like you just get in the local yeah market. yeah oh, so i was just like i didn't know that like british people overall take baking <laughs> so much more ser- ethan is getting a kick out of this <laughs> I, it's very funny I, I cooked in a restaurant in london when i, I moved there oh, for grad school cool. I, but i didn't do any sweet baking i mean british desserts are very strange <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this. That. I don't know. Well, all the like, uh, the puddings, the steamed desserts. Yeah, the... that's quite like traditional. Yeah. It's quite old school, but they're good though. They're, they're, like, on a cold yeah. day like this, that's what you want. Yeah, you want a steamed pudding. And they all have funny names, which doesn't help. I mean, what is a yeah. what is a steamed pudding exactly? Um, so there's like um like a jam roly poly that's a steamed <laughs> a jammy roll a, a jam jam roly poly jam roly poly. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, now I say it. I get that it's a little bit weird. <laughs> now I say it out loud. Okay, I get jam roly poly. It's like an old school classic. You'd have it like school for like dessert. So it's um it's made from it's got suet in it. So it is animal yeah. fat. It's yeah, rendered animal beef fat. fat. And you use Thank it you, your, yeah. <laughs> yeah, use it in your pudding, and it's like a kind of like a Swiss roll. So you roll it up with the jam in the middle, and then you steam it, and it's you serve it hot with custard. But it's like a little bit stodgy, and it's just really comfort, old school dessert. It's a really jam nice. roly poly. And it's another good. thing, I think that's, <laughs> that's just gonna just pile on British and, desserts. Well, no, an, another um, another thing because you guys' season was a little bit longer than ours because um, you started with twelve contestants. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. we started with ten. So um, you guys had more challenges, and I think you guys went like way deeper into savory baking. Mm. And I think savory baking, like in general, is just a little controversial. It's like people are like, "Is it baking?" And I'm like, "I think it's baking." Yeah, like, it's <laughs> Yeah, there's pastry there's yeah. bread there's pastry bread, bread is definitely baking yeah <laughs> what was there like um any savory things that you remember that you guys made on a challenge because i don't know i think that like americans watching the great british bake-off are particularly like fascinated by um by some of the savory dishes i think one was like 
like a layer, a really layered savory type. I, I don't know the name of it. I need to brush, I need to brush up on my British baking names. Savory pastry names. <laughs> savory I do, pastry I do think names. that the UK has a more of a tradition of savory baking. Uh, yeah, than we've got the a US lot of pies, yeah. but like savory pies. Oh, like shepherd's pie, right? Or steak or not, and like, kidney, yeah, steak or pie. Oh, pasties, wow. pa- or pasties. Um, quiche, you know, yeah. it's French, but yeah, yeah quiche, that kind of thing. Sausage rolls, that's bacon. Do you have yeah, sausage rolls? Yeah, sausage. We not really sausage rolls, like sausage. like a pastry dough like wrapped around pastry. a sausage. Yeah. Oh yeah, what do we call that? Like wiener pigs in a blanket. Pigs in a blanket. But that would be like we a, would, but would we like wouldn't call that little... baking. See, that's but then for us, pigs in a blanket is is like a little cocktail sausage with bacon wrapped around it. Mm. That's a pig in a blanket. Oh, I like that better. <laughs> They're good. Like with a roast dinner. That's yummy. Um, let's, uh, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> way, Back to our topic. That sounds way um, better, actually. How, how were your friends and family involved in this process? You were going back and forth to the tent and home every weekend. Mm, uh, what was, kind of support? What, like, what was that? What was that like when you came home? Yeah, that was intense. Um, so I live with like my family. So my mom and my sister, and my brother. And yeah, during those practice evenings, practice days, I would leave the kitchen in an absolute tip, honestly. <laughs> but my mum was amazing. She would just like, hey, you're tight, go to bed. I'll clear up. I'll do the washing up. I was like, thank you. Oh, moms just, are the best. They are the best. You could just see how tired I was because you go to work, come home, and now I've got to practice, and then go to bed, and then go to work in the morning. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm just not even stopping. And so baking late into the night, and she'd just be like, okay, just I'll wash up. And I'm like, thank you so much. Um, so having that and just... And just guinea pigs also, like, give stuff to, like, tell me what you think, tell me what you think, try that, try that, try that, and be honest, because my sister is, she's very, very, give it to you straight, she will not mint, she's like, if she doesn't like it, she will let you know, so that was good to have that, try it and be honest and tell me what you think, that was very helpful. And I, oh, go ahead, Ethan. Well, were there dishes that you felt like you nailed at home and then didn't get quite right on the show, or vice versa, Mm. that you, that you nailed on the show and couldn't? quite get at home do you know what i think the first week cake week actually we had a mirror glaze cake for the uh, showstopper challenge and i for the life of me could not get this glaze right at home like it just wouldn't work it was too thick it wasn't shiny enough and i thought you know what it's just going to be what it's going to be when i get in the tent and then somehow in the tent it just kind of came together and i was like how did i do that how did that happen so that was one that i just kind of kind of winged it a little You've bit never been able to do it again and i've, I've not i've not even wanted to make it yeah <laughs> to like, i don't want to do that I, that's not something that i would do like just for fun for me i'm like that's not my not my vibe i mean i think another interesting thing about this show is it really encourages kind of like doing the most right <laughs> so like yeah it's like maybe in your normal baking life you're not making mirror glazes because why because like why? they don't taste particularly good yeah, no, they're just they're bright and they're colorful okay but why would like, you just make a ganache i don't know like yeah which is delicious <laughs> it tastes good yeah like gelatin and food coloring i don't know right like, but do you think that maybe your style of being of using these big bold flavors and spices do you think that might have helped you um stand out in any ways with with your stuff and how has your style changed since then mm. with this and with this book also Mm, I think because the book is very like I would say it's very like minimalist beautiful art art, yeah it's it's artistic but in a way that's um that's yeah that's stripped back like it's beautiful but like very doable Mm. for a home baker Mm. I think yeah like flavors was something that I relied on throughout the show because just 
before the show kind of baking in my own time I wasn't doing structures out of food I really dislike <laughs> I really dislike making food look like something else I'm just like oh my worst nightmare so those kind of challenges I really struggled like with the gingerbread like tower that was just like I could not think of anything worse and so knowing that on the presentation wise and the aesthetic on that side knowing that it wasn't my strength and that I don't want to make this look like something else I had to rely on well this has to taste amazing it might not look as flamboyant as everybody else's but it's it's got to taste fantastic in order to kind of carry itself um and so that I think really got me got me through um so yeah that's kind of been my style of flavor comes first and that's not to say that it should look trash (laughs) it should still look appealing and people should want to eat it but it doesn't mean that you have to be it doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles on it and sometimes the things that are just so stripped back and so simple can be the most elegant and most inviting Um, and that's kind of been what I've tried to portray throughout the book as well we're going to break we'll be back soon Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly here on HRN. Every week, I conduct intimate interviews with the brilliant, powerful women in the food world. We discuss their lives, their careers, and the ways in which they navigate the world at large. You can find Speaking Broadly wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we're back. You're listening to Why Food, and we're joined by Benjamina Obwehi, who is a cookbook author, A New Way to Cake, and a winner, well, a quarter finalist? <laughs> Not winner. One of, the, one of the winners of The Great British Bake Off, which is on Netflix season, uh, season four on Netflix. Uh, before the break, we were talking about kind of the behind-the-scenes look at how the show worked, and we just started to talk about the book. So let's let's dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think, Benjamina, you were saying that your style is kind of like a, a stripped-back but still elegant and flavorful style mm. when it comes to baking. And I will say, one of your recipes in here, the, it's the plantain upside-down cake. Mm. It's so beautiful. Thank you. And I would have <laughs> never thought to put plantains in a dessert. But like plantains have, it was kind of like a staple in your household. Yeah, and it's so, it's got so many similarities to bananas, which we use in everything. And I thought, well, why not? Let's give it a try. And when you use them when they're nice and ripe, it's such 
a nice flavor. It's sweet and it caramelizes. Cake with a sage caramel frosting, which I really love. It's very autumnal, very like warming. And the sage is really like earthy and fragrant in the caramel. And I love that one. Um, and there's also, what else is there? Can we talk about the sage caramel for a minute? Because I saw... <laughs> like, about, Valerie's like, yeah. I, was, I, I, I read that recipe and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like 10 leaves of sage in it. So it, it seems like it's it's probably just like really, really like flavor forward. You have the earthy from the sage and mm. the like caramelized, sweet... Like, I I want to know what that tastes like. It's a really good one because the apple cake is so... The apple cake is sweet, not sickly sweet, but sweet enough. Um, and then you've got the cream cheese frosting, which kind of cuts some of that sweetness. But then the sage caramel, I think, just brings it all together. And it's literally like autumn in your mouth. Like, it's, it's, it's yummy. I might have to make that one first. Yes, please. I thought I was going to do the plantain <laughs> upside down cake. You, you like, could, I mean, if, if you need some taste testers, <laughs> bring some into the studio. Everyone <laughs> always wants to taste, but only mom will help with dishes. I'll help with dishes. You had also, I mean, our excuse for having you on our show, which obviously talks about people who have changed careers. Um, you're not very old, but uh, <laughs> you have had a couple of different careers. Uh, what were you doing uh, professionally when you got onto the show? Yeah, so I just graduated and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I did economics at uni, but knew that I didn't want to go into like banking or city life. I thought that was actually just will be my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and so decided that, oh, teaching, teaching will be fine. I like kids. I like math. Let's teach math. Um, and so I was working in a school and going to start my teacher training before um, Bake Off kind of came up. And now you're teaching us in your blog and your cookbook yeah, about baking. Yeah, so still teaching, just not math. Something more fun than math. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, baking is basically math. It has a lot of math, a lot of ratio, a lot of, you know, scaling up, scaling yeah. down. You have to do the math, but she has the recipes all written down for us. So we don't have to do the math. Yes. Thank you. What, I mean, what, what? does a career look like post Bake Off? Like how, do, how have other people handled it? How have you handled it? What are you thinking about beyond the cookbook and the work you're, that you're doing with Luminary Kitchen, which we'll come back to, but like, how, do you, how do you decide what to do after an experience like it's, that? It's a weird one, honestly. It's, you finish a show and it's finished airing and then the final's out and everyone knows who won and then suddenly you get all these like different opportunities kind of thrown at you some are great, some are like, mm, not so great. Some pay well, some don't pay well. Um, and so I think it's just, a, it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, let me try this. Do I like it? Actually, I really dislike that. I don't want to go into that. Oh, that's not so bad. Oh, I don't mind that. I'll ex explore that a little bit more. Um, and so quite early on, I knew that I didn't like doing, I don't know, like food, like food festivals and demos were a bit not my bag. I just... Yeah, I didn't enjoy those, so I don't do much of those. But then I was on a shoot one day, um, kind of in front of the camera for like just some social media content, and there was a woman who um, was the home economist and food stylist. And at that point, I did never even heard of that. I was like, "What? What are you do? What's your job?" And she had done all the baking, she'd done all the stuff, and I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And just got a chatting to her, and I realized, "Oh, that's such a like I would love to learn more about that. Um, that more kind of behind the scenes." element was yeah really intrigued me and so got chatting to her about like food styling and being a home ec and yeah just started to get some experience in that side of things and recipe writing as well and so yeah I did enjoy that 
I enjoy that because it's a lot more behind the scenes and it's more spending more time with the food rather than just being in front of a camera and talking about it, but not actually making it. Making it's a little it. more tactile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you actually did all of the styling for your I own book. Did. That's really <laughs> impressive. Very ambitious. Would I do it again? <laughs> I'm not sure if I would do it again, but it was an experience. It yeah. Was an experience. And for our listeners who might not be so sure as to what food styling is or what a home economist is. Cause I think that's more of a British term, but mm. um, I mean, food styling is, it's the people who make the food, but they don't just make it. They have to make it look really mm. photo ready, yeah. which can be a little bit different than just baking it. Mm. But is, is that different than a home economist? I don't think we have that term exactly. Mm. So home economists, they, a lot of them will work on TV shows. So for the Bake Off, we had home economists who were doing all the sourcing of the ingredients and all the prep. Um, and you get them on food shows as well, like food festivals. Okay. So I think kind we, of similar, but probably call I, it something different. Yeah, I think we call them culinary producers or just food stylists. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Okay, yeah. awesome. So um, you did the styling for the book. And I just want to say one more thing about the book, because I think <laughs> one thing I really like is the way that you kind of categorize things. Mm. So it's categorized by like um, nuts and, and caramel and spices. I could, I need to open up yeah. the book and make sure I'm not <laughs> missing anything. Citrus. Chocolate. Yes. So, I mean, what, what kind of made you want to want to categorize it in that way? Because that's mm. not something you always see in baking books. Mm. I think it was... I was really conscious of when I want to bake something or I'm going to a cookbook, how do I search for something? And I'm very much, what do I crave? Like, what am I craving? What am I in the mood for? And often I go by, or oh, I really want something chocolatey. I really want something um, fruity. Or I really would love something just sharp and citrusy. And that's how I would search for something that I was in the mood for. Like, what do I fancy? I want something really rich and chocolatey. And so I thought, actually, that makes sense for categories so you can you know if you're in the mood for something really nutty and caramelly you go to the nuts and caramel section or you want something with spices you go to the spice section and so yeah it was very much um pushed by the way that i would search for a recipe and were these mostly recipes that you had made already techniques that you had developed or how much work did you do specifically for the book how many of these recipes are new oh like 95 (laughs) percent a lot of them were because i had i had lots of cake recipes but wanted to kind of develop some new ones and as I got brainstorming the ones I had just didn't really fit um so I wanted to create new stuff and play around a lot more and kind of push boundaries a little bit more um so yeah so so it's all new (laughs) yeah it's pretty much all new yeah there's a couple that have that have been um on my blog but most of them majority of them are all new ones which was exciting challenge yeah I can (laughs) imagine big challenge but worth it can you tell us a little bit about Sisters Table, about what it is, how it started? Yeah, so I love cake, but I also love brunch. Um, and so I, the Sister Table, um, I run with my actual sister, um, Bonita, and we host brunch clubs every other month in London for women. So we have about 30 women every other month come down. We use different venues make it really pretty, lots of flowers, all that good stuff. And we have a three-course brunch. And it's just a way of connecting with people and doing it through food. And so a lot of women come by themselves and are able to meet new people, build some relationships, and doing that over a really good meal 
um, in a really nice venue is, yeah, a cool way to meet new people. So it's kind of like networking, but without calling it networking and kind of getting rid of those preconceptions that you have of going to a networking event. It's more, <laughs> come and have a really good brunch and chat, meet some new women and have yeah. a good afternoon. And it, I think it kind of gets into the heart of what food means to most of us, which mm. is it's about community. It's about sharing. Yeah. It's about having a way that you can express yourself and also like give to other people. Mm. Yeah. And let's talk about Luminary Kitchen. Yeah, Luminary Bakery. No, Luminary Bakery. Yeah, they are. They are fan, absolutely. I love, love, love Luminary Bakery. Um, so essentially, it's a social enterprise bakery based in London, and um, started a few years ago. And they work with disadvantaged women. So that could be women who have previously been homeless, um, women who previously been in p- prison, or victims of domestic abuse. So a whole range of things. And there's a six month course that they come onto, and they learn how to bake everything so from cakes breads pastries the whole shebang they learn it in six months um and also um employability skills um about work how to get back into work and giving them real life skills and practical training to get back into the workforce and into the community um and so i'm one of the ambassadors for limoni bakery and do um teach some of the the workshops and classes on there as well and just let everyone know how amazing it is. So yeah, it's really, really I enjoy working with them. And maybe this is a, a stupid or obvious question, but <laughs> why why is all of that important to you? How why did you decide to to get involved? I think I it was more of um, like working with foods and the work that I do can be so um, individualistic. It can be so kind of all about me, all about my feed, all about okay, this is what I'm doing. But food is also, like we said, just a way of sharing and to be able to kind of like use my skills in a way that can can benefit other women, especially um, and to, to encourage them and to empower them was something I thought it was it was. Yeah, it was a no brainer of, yeah, your skills can be used for the benefit of others in such a positive way. Um, and so, yeah, baking and women's empowerment. I was like, well, yeah, this is a great combination. <laughs> no, yeah, that's like a beautiful on. way, I think, to like give back and mm. just be a bigger influence in your community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, let's, I, let's, I want to go back to the book, actually, because okay. there's really some beautiful imagery in the mm. book. I think like the way you talk about like the caramel bubbling and mm. the way you describe the flavors, um, I mean, Ethan hasn't mentioned it, but he actually owns a spice importing company. And you spoke specifically, I think, in the intro about sumac. Are there any, like, specific spices that we might find here that might be, like, really surprising? Or or just what are your favorite, like, spice forward recipes in this book? Or even favorite kind of secret ingredients that yeah. you've worked into baking that thrown in there. Yeah. The plantains <laughs> or other other yeah, similar I think, but I think yeah the sumac one is one that people are like, huh, sumac in a cake? What is that about? But it's so it makes sense and it's like almost why has it not been done a lot before? Um yeah, it's it's citrusy, um, but not but not like overpowering and it's just really fragrant and so that's it's a sumac spelt and apple cake so the spelt is really that like wholemeal nutty kind of flavor and you've got the apples running through there again for some sweetness and the sumac just brings it all together and lightens it up quite a lot which is i yeah i really like that one it's a fun one um again there's lots of cardamom i love cardamom Mm. that's one of my like top 
to <laughs> spice it. Yeah. So I throw it in in all chapters, I'm pretty sure. I just chuck it in anywhere. But um, yeah, there's some good cardamom ones. There's a cardamom and mulled wine cake. That's that's a nice Christmassy one. Um, yeah, it's a lot of cardamom going through there. I will say, like, cardamom and baking, I think might be a British thing that has come to America through the Great British Bake Off franchise. Yeah, I don't really think I was seeing cardamom in a lot of baking recipes, but I I see it more now. The Swedes, like in the Scandinavians, they are the like original, the OG cardamom cardamom Yeah, cardamom buns. Yeah, they uh, love cardamom. And I think that's probably... It's just, you know, it's in Europe now. Yeah. And then it was, yeah, it's come over here. It's like the internet and Instagram and well, and it's also streaming. used, yeah. it's <laughs> streaming also used in a lot of a lot of Indian desserts will have yeah. cardamom in them. Yeah. So oh, obviously there true. is a, a well, long bread. and rich yeah. tradition. But I think actually this the Scandinavians the story that I've read is that Viking traders like sailing down the rivers through Europe somewhere in the middle Hungary area met up with traders who were coming from the east, oh. Arabs and Indians, and you know, this was in the twelve hundreds or whenever yeah. it was even earlier. Uh, and that's how cardamom made its way to scandinavia but Ooh. somehow skipped the rest of europe it's not really popular <laughs> anywhere else yeah i mean even even within like the uk cardamom is for that kind of i don't like average home baker it's still a bit of a ooh, yeah. exotic <laughs> ingredient like right. what's that i think for people within food it's like yeah cardamom yeah of course throwing everything but for the you know baker who isn't like maybe in a big city who's a bit more rural they're probably not baking with cardamom as much as people in london i would say yeah, that makes sense. And I would say here, even still, it's it's a little bit like, hmm, cardamom? Yeah. What's that? Where it's like, to me, it's almost, it's like, it's like cinnamon's like cinnamon. cousin. Yeah. They're like, cousins. If you like cinnamon, you probably like cardamom. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I mean, cinnamon is in everything. And cinnamon might be a little bit more palatable in the sense that, like, maybe cardamom is slightly more acquired just because most of us aren't, aren't exposed to it. To it yeah, and cinnamon much. is like, it's just comfort. Everyone, everyone knows what cinnamon is. You say yeah. cinnamon, you know what to expect. Right. You say cardamom's like, I don't know what it's going to taste like. Yeah. I don't know. Right, yeah. right. And I think also just finding, like, good cardamom is another thing because it's like such a huge difference. <laughs> I'm like Thank you, staring straight at Ethan. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that like Ethan hasn't provided me with good cardamom, but I'm just saying like before I met Ethan, um, you it, didn't have a cardamom guy. I didn't have a, didn't have a cardamom sourcer, right? So it's like actually when when we were doing our little supermarket sweep preparing mm. for the show, we would go to the grocery store and it was like I got like whole cardamom yeah, pods for like. Two pounds. So cheap. Like, so, you can get cardamom in any supermarket. Yeah. Th- is that the price here, Don't Ethan? get me started on, on the cheap spices. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole rabbit hole we don't want to go like, down. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, Should we do some rapid fire questions? Sure, let's do some rapid fire. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what did you do to reset in between episodes, in between taping? Like, what was your the like how did how did you uh find calm and tranquility between <laughs> the craziness <laughs> yeah exactly of, of oh gosh it was a lot of okay quiet time and pray and breathe that was the quiet time pray 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 and breathe that was just the to keep me your sane, mantra literally did, just... did your faith have a big role as you were going through the competition oh definitely definitely mostly and a lot in just like providing perspective and like actually this is not the end of the world. This is such <laughs> a great opportunity. But you are not going to... If you lose, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. Like, obviously, it's really exciting. And, you know, give it everything. But 
this is not going to, however you do is not going to define, you know, you as a person. So enjoy the ride, but don't let it consume you kind of thing. So that was really helpful in terms of perspective. Can I, I know we're supposed to be doing rapid fire, but I have have another, I have two questions. Go for it. Um, I mean, one of the things, one of the things that the Great British Bake Off or the Great British Baking Show in the US, at least the news about it that I've read, uh, there's, there's a lot of race and class conversation around it and especially the season where I'm blanking on her name Nadia. but the Nadia the hijabi mm. woman won mm. the season uh, I mean that's it's when at least here in the US when you think of a British person there's She's a there's the a pretty particular mind, yeah. image yeah exactly so uh, and and likewise for you yeah. being of immigrant background in the UK how did that how do you feel like that changed uh, or how do you feel like that affected the way that you approached being on the show how do you feel like it affected the choices you made about the recipes that you, you cooked? Mm, I think... See, that's really interesting because when mm. I think British, I think about, like, the colonies and former mm. colonies. Mm. But I was also, like, a French major, and I studied colonization and decolonization uh, so throughout, <laughs> like, the multiple empires. <laughs> so it, it is interesting, though, because when we were in London, contestants on my season were like... Um, and it was all, it was maybe some people who were not from a cosmopolitan city and they were kind of surprised. And we were in, we were in the outskirts where it was a lot of people who, um, who, who dressed and maybe not what, what someone would consider typical British, um, attire or clothing. And, you know, they were clearly like still, um, you know, showing things that represented their culture. Mm. So yeah, I think. throwing the mic back to you Benjamina (laughs) yeah I think it's I think growing because I've born and bred in London which again is such it's a city with everybody sometimes I forget that oh yeah you're not white not not that I'm not white but like London the rest of the UK isn't like London right yeah there are places who who still are a bit like oh my gosh are you actually British like yeah I am but um I think throughout the show I think it just it just informed the the recipes that I chose. I was very much like, this is what I eat. This is what I would make if I was at home doing it. So therefore, this is what I'm going to kind of bring to the table. And you might like it, you might not, but I enjoy it. And so just, yeah, being confident in that. Did you ever feel misunderstood by the judges with, with the fact that like, what you were eating at home is so different than what Mary and Paul were eating at home <laughs> or even with like some of the, um, the technical challenges. Cause I remember one, I was like, what? I was like, we don't eat creme caramel in Baton Rouge. <laughs> creme caramels. Like, isn't, isn't that just like a flan? Yeah. Like yeah. Flan. It was like a, yeah, it was like a flan. Yeah. I didn't even know what it was though. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, where is like the, the pecan pie technical challenge, right? You would have aced that one. I would have totally aced that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I've forgotten the question. What did you, what was the question? Oh, sorry. I, like, I hey, just, did, I did, you feel, did you feel like um, you, you cooking the stuff that, that you eat at home, it was understood by the mm. judges? I think to an extent, because the challenges were so... Um, I don't know, like specific. It wasn't like it was like make make us a a, a dinner, and I was making something that I would because it's it was still baking and it still had to kind of fall within the brief. It was more okay, maybe just throwing in some, 
yeah, like I didn't, I did a recipe and it had plantains in it. And Mary was like, oh, I've never had plantains before. And just, but she was still quite open and like, oh, it tastes. You said you're 150 years old. How have you never, have you <laughs> she, spent your whole life She was so sweet. Was she really sweet? Absolutely lovely. Like just everyone's grandma. She's like, so, so cool. Can I go back to rapid fire? Okay, sure. Who was your favorite judge? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I should have You were just looking for coming. an excuse to ask that question. <laughs> oh, oh uh, no, Mary. Oh, okay. Mary. Mary oh, okay. Very sweet. Were there conversations among the the contestants about, I don't know, strategizing, debating recipes, sort of reflecting on the experience that you were all going through together? Uh, Not so much. I think, like, we chat about, like, oh, what are you making for the, you know, next week's coming up? What's everyone thinking? Or on the day, or what are you making? Um, And everyone would be so different. And I think it was just a reflection of, actually, we're all coming from different places we have different um styles of doing things so even though your sounds fantastic i would never do that and it just wouldn't be something that i would want to do but it sounds amazing and i'm sure it's going to taste great so there was a lot of so i think it was hard to be like oh mine sounds so rubbish because we just we were all so different coming from different backgrounds and our interpretations of the briefs would be so different and i'm like i would have never have thought about it like that that's so cool and it was more just appreciating like our individual creativity and the way we would interpret the briefs more than oh my gosh oh I want to steal that idea because I'm like <laughs> I could try but I probably won't be able to do it as good as you anyway so right you know kudos to you I mean I think you were definitely a fan favorite you had Aww. some other fan favorites <laughs> on your season you had yeah. Val yes you had Selassie mm-hmm. who was your baker bestie my baker or your bake off bake off bestie bestie oh there was a couple so Rav I don't remember Rav. He was, we got on really, really well. He was actually at my audition. My second, and then I was like, and I remember when we left, we were like, oh, good luck. I might see you on the show. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my gosh, we both made it. So yeah, Rav got on with Rav. And Selassie and Andrew as well, I got on with them. They were like my, my guys. Yeah. Can we, I mean, not to open a whole can of worms, but can we, can we talk about the, the your departure from the show? What, what did, how did, yeah. I mean, how did, uh, you can sort of guess, but how did that feel? Or what was your process of, of going, leading up to that announcement and then coming down from it? Yeah, that was, oh, that was such a sad week. Um, I think building up to it, I'd kind of, I had a feeling I was, that was going to be my week for a number of reasons. I think one, I was actually just so exhausted. I was just like, creatively I was drawing blanks I was like I have nothing left I'm tired this is just such a long and draining process so I'd kind of slowly started to mentally be like I'm done Um, and then also the week that it was was Tudor week which was just so silly and I stand by it was a silly week Tudor Tudor week Tudor yeah Yeah, the Tudors in history like Henry the Eighth and that that's not that's not a theme that's not a big theme that's a that's silly. So when I saw that, I thought, okay, that is really the week that I'm going to be going through because I don't know what I'm supposed to do about Tudors and baking. So yeah, one, just being exhausted. Two, not liking the week, the theme of the week at all. I just had checked out on every level and I kind of thought, unless someone else has to do horribly badly for me to, to stay. Um, and yeah, so I think it was it was my time. But it was still sad. It was still like, oh no. I was still had like a little hope or maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be safe. Um, so it, yeah, it was really sad to go home. And how did you process it? Oh, I think. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like giving Ethan the eye. So like, <laughs> I'm like, these up. are things I, I, don't, I don't even there think about quite, these things. Like I haven't no, it processed. Was sad. Oh, I cried. I cried on the train home. I was just like, oh, tears. I was like, oh my gosh, well, I'm just such a failure. How did I not you know, make it to the end? But then, you know, you have a few days to kind of like, okay, 
breathe you will actually be fine like you did such an amazing thing you did you made it so far everyone like ethan like who is who watches some seasons but not all like very specifically (laughs) remembered you and your season so it was fun you made an impression yeah i mean you you. had such a like such charisma such uh you were such a good energy yeah really good energy energy. like i was i was rooting for you (laughs) even though i was watching it like you know six years later (laughs) or whatever and we can attest that that's not just on tv you brought the really good positive energy here today so um i think we should probably yeah and then wrap it up yeah, we need to probably. All right. Um, <laughs> if you uh, were a vegetable, which vegetable would you be? Oh, mm, if I was a vegetable, I would be. Do you know what? I would be. Oh, it's going to be really random. Tender stem broccoli. So specific. I yeah. love wow. it. Tender stem broccoli. Tender stem because broccoli. Because like broccoli is broccoli, but tender stem is just like a little mm. bit more. Oh, it's a bit more special. And I, I always prefer tender stem broccoli. Are you a big broccoli fan? Only for tender stem. <laughs> See, I didn't even know that was a thing. Did you, Ethan? I don't, is it, is no, it no, I it's know. not. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Not, we're looking at Amy. We're gonna have Amy to, doesn't know. We're going to have to get on a plane and, and, and come, come have some broccoli in London. Or go to a farmer's market. Yeah. It's just so much. I, it just tastes so much better than regular broccoli. So it's just, yeah, if I was a vegetable, mm. it's just that little bit special. All right. Yeah. I love it. Um, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, where can our listeners buy your book? Where can they find you on Instagram or other platforms? Um, so you can get the book online, um, all good retailers, Amazon, your Barnes and Noble, your book depository, um, and in stores as well. And you can find me on Instagram at Baked by Benji, and Twitter is the same as well, Baked by Benji. And what's next for you in your career? You've You've gotten this book out. You're on a book tour. What What are you thinking about uh, to do next? Next, oh, I mean, I would love to do more books. That's definitely something that I want to do. So just kind of thinking about not wanting to rush it and just you know chuck one out for the sake of it. But yeah, taking time to think about maybe maybe the new way to bread is next. The new mm. way to bread. Ooh. And I just got a message a franchise <laughs> that Tinderstone broccoli is what we call broccolini. Oh, interesting. Broccolini. Broccolini. Oh, that's a fun it, name. It is way better than broccoli. I agree exactly. with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank um, you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Yeah. And as, yeah. Oh, I'm Valerie. You can find me on social media at foodieinnewyork.com or my blog um, at Foodie in New York. Got those in reverse. Um, Ethan, you can find me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram and Facebook and wherever else. Uh, as always, you can reach us by email, whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org. Send us nominations, suggestions, comments, questions. If you have anything bad to say, send them to another email address, uh, but we'll take the compliments. No, um, <laughs> you can, uh, yeah, and um, thanks to Amanda, our, our awesome sound engineer, and uh, to our the band that wrote our theme song, Blind by the Red Crickets. Valerie, you want to add anything? I just want to add that we put a little rum in our coffee. Mm, so That's why we're having so much fun today. That's no, we're why we're all, having we so much fun, fun today. We always have fun. Uh, Benjamina, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an Thanks, absolute guys. pleasure. Congratulations on the book. And uh, everyone listening, tune in again next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
YFood is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.